You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. And what was their attitude about that? Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 6, Jonathan says to his armor bearer, he says, nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Remember that when you feel as if you're up against unsurmountable odds, You're outnumbered. You're outgunned. Listen, you're always in the majority when God is with you. If you're facing a deep and painful battle today, this is for you. You are not alone. Though it may feel like it at times, you are never forsaken. The creator of the universe is with you right now in this moment. So as you listen to Pastor Mike in today's message, pay close attention. There is no battle too great that God would not fight for you. There is not mountain too high that God would not climb to reach you. There is nothing that can hinder the love God has for you. He is on your side. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 10 as he continues his message, The Lord Who Is On Your Side. Only when David is aware of the Ammonites preparing for war does he send out and dispatch Joab and his army to Rabbah. Now, notice the reference to David's mighty men. And this is the first time in the scriptures where David's force, these mercenaries, are referred to mighty men. This elite, glorious fighting force of David's. Now, It is important to understand concerning these mighty men that David was nothing without them, without his mighty men. And they were nothing without him. He was their leader. But a leader is nothing without followers. And David had an army of the mighty men to follow him. These mighty men didn't necessarily start out as mighty men. In fact, when we were first introduced to them, back in 1 Samuel chapter 22, remember? Uh, This is the way that they were recommended to us. They were distressed. They were indebted and discontent individuals who followed David at Adullam uh, Cave. And sometimes during the week, I'd encourage you to read that text. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verses 1 and 2. Now, one of these mighty men, just to kind of give you an idea of who these men were, these mercenaries, was a fellow whose name was Adino. And in 2 Samuel, in chapter 23, in verse 8, 
we are told that he was famous for killing 800 men at one time. Could you imagine that? One man killed 800 men at one time. Then we were also introduced to, that was also a part of David's mighty men, a fellow whose name was Jeshobim, who, according to 1 Chronicles in chapter 11 and verse 11, killed 300 men at one time. And then we are introduced to another who was a part of this group, a fellow whose name was Abenai, who killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day and killed a huge Egyptian warrior who was seven and a half feet tall with his own spear. He wrestled his spear from him and then he plunged that spear into him and killed him, according to First Chronicles in chapter 11 in verses 22 and 23. Hey, listen, these guys should have had their own Marvel comic series, right? I mean, think about it. Amazing feats that these guys were able to accomplish. So these were, just to kind of give you an idea of who these mighty men of David were. Okay, now, notice here, according to our text, David did not accompany them. Why? Because the Ammonites by themselves didn't constitute much of a threat. But David was unaware of these Syrian reinforcements. Well, anyway, Joab is dispatched with a certain group of men, a certain number of David's military, but he marches into a trap with his troops. Let's pick up now in verse 8. Then the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array at the entrance of the gate of that city, okay? And then we are told the Syrians, remember who they had hired, of Zobah, Beth Rehob, and Ishtab, and Makkah were by themselves in the uh, field. So they were, Israel was going to be attacked in two fronts, okay? They were going to come from behind and surround Israel's uh, forces, according to our text. So Joab marches the troops into a trap. And as soon as the Israelites prepare to attack the Ammonites, who have drawn up in a battle array in front of the city gates, Joab is made aware of the approach of the Syrians from the rear. So acting quickly, now he realizes he's surrounded, he's outgunned, acting quickly and decisively, we read in verses 9 through 12, when Joab saw, now this was David's captain, his general, when Joab saw that the battle line was against him, in other words, he's surrounded, before and behind, he chose some of Israel's best and put them in battle array against the Syrians, who was at this time a more powerful force than those who were standing at the gate in front of the city. And the rest of the people he put under the command of Abishai, so his troops were broken up into two groups, his brother, that he might set them in battle array against the people of Ammon. So Abishai would go against those who were standing in the gate, and then Joab would go against the Syrians who were behind. And then he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. And then notice in verse 12, and I think that this is important, he says, be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. 
and may the Lord do what is good in his sight. So that was Joab's battle cry. Let me read it again because I think that this is important. And you know what? When we're faced with a situation, whether it be some kind of temptation or we feel ourselves being surrounded by the enemy and, uh, and it seems as if lights out, we're backed up against a wall, we're up against an enemy that's greater than ourselves, I would remind you uh, of this verse of Scripture, be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God and may the Lord do what is good in his sight. Okay, so notice here, Joab makes no allowance for the possibility of a defeat. Now, how would you describe uh, Joab's attitude? Was this a demonstration of faith or fatalism? And I think the answer to that question is both. I think in what they, uh, Joab had said, encouraging the troops, it was a demonstration of his faith in God. And again, I would remind you, he makes no allowances even for the possibility of defeat. And so when you find yourself in a situation, a temptation, you know, you're about to fall into sin or whatever, you're up against unsurmountable odds, an enemy that's larger uh, than yourself, make no allowances for the possibility of defeat. God has made his resources available to you so that you can overcome anything that you will ever have to face in your life's uh, experience. And then the fatalism part, hey, you know, you're just slipping on and over to God. You know, let God be God. Let God be your strength. Let God be your defense. Let him go before you in battle so that you might be able to gain the victory. Well, anyway, I really like the saying of Joab because, it, you know, this idea of uh, encouraging them to courage and uh, strength, these are not matters of emotion. We're not talking about matters of emotion, you know, where we have to muster these kinds of things. Be of good courage. And, uh, you know, it's not an emotion. It's not a feeling or a circumstance. Uh, they are matters of choice. It's a choice that we make, you know, slipping on and over to uh, God, especially when God makes his strength available to us. You know, Paul put it this way in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 6 and verse 10, which probably, as you heard me say many times before, is the greatest chapter in all of the Bible on the subject of spiritual warfare and how to gain the victory. Well, anyway, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, we can be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So remind yourself of that. The next time you feel as if you're slipping or you're moving in the wrong direction, you're heading towards temptation and failure and defeat, please remember these things. Well, anyway, Joab takes on the most difficult task uh, himself. In other words, he's going against the Syrians. Being a man of action, he takes the initiative and attacks the Syrians. And his frontal assault, and I'm sure the Syrians were surprised. You know, Joab takes that elite corp out of all of the group of men that had gone out to face the Ammonites. And he, I guess he chooses them and chooses them wisely. And without blinking an eye... He turns and he goes against the Syrians who have now, you know, come in from behind him to attack. And, uh, and how did the Syrians respond? Well, notice his frontal assault takes them by surprise. And they flee before the might of David's elite corpse without striking a blow. Without striking a blow. 
They never even came up against them to fight hand-to-hand combat. Now, why was that? Well, you know, in the book of Deuteronomy, I think we're given the reason why. And such is the case with you. You'll never have to come to blows with your enemy or that temptation or that opportunity to sin. That is, if you allow God to intervene on your part. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 28 and verse 7, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and they will flee before you seven ways. So remember that. What a blessing that is. That's some great consolation, something truly to uh, be aware of. So as soon as the Ammonites get wind of what happened, that is Joab going against the Syrians and before even striking a blow, the Syrians hightail it out of there as fast as their feet could carry them, right? Now the forces that were standing in front of the city there in the gate of the city, they got wind of what had taken place. And what did they do? They retreat back into the city. So those that had been given to Abishai, Joab's brother, you know, to face them there in the gate of the city, they retreat back into the city and they don't strike a blow against them uh, either. So interesting. So as soon as the Ammonites get wind of what happened, they retreat into the city. Let's pick up now in verses 13 and 14. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near for the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him, again, without striking a blow. They hightailed it out of there as quick as they could. And when the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing, those guys who were standing in the gate again, they also fled before Abishai, Joab's brother, and entered into the city. And so Joab returned from the people of Ammon and went back to the city of Jerusalem. Why? Because Joab felt he had carried out his mission and he returns to Jerusalem to report to King David the activities of that day. Now, the scene shifts from Rabbah to Helam, some 35 miles east of the Sea of Galilee. The Syrians are smarting as a result of their recent defeat and they decide to regroup and to consider their next move. Verses 15 and 16, let's read those verses. When the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered together. Then Hadezer, who was the king of Zobah, we've already been introduced to this fellow in one of our previous studies, sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the river. And they came to Helam, and Shobach, the commander of Hadadezer's army, went before him. So Hadadezer, king of Zobah, one of the kings throughout the Syrian kingdom, believes that a larger force will succeed where his previous coalition had failed. And he sends messengers northward and calls for all the help he can muster. And a vast force rallies around his banner. He commissions a veteran commander, this fellow Shobach, who's mentioned here, who's sort of like his top gun, to lead the army. Now, let me mention this. I want you to think about this. All of the planning, all of the vaunted wisdom, the flawless execution of the Syrians, all of the plans that they had made, are insufficient. Why was that? Because God was with David and Israel. 1 Samuel in chapter 14 and verse 6. 
Remember when Jonathan and his armor bearer went up against the garrison of the Philistines. Two men against an entire garrison of the Philistines. Do you remember what Jonathan said to his armor bearer that day? He was going to go out, just him and his armor, just two men were going to go up against an entire Philistines of the garrison of the Philistines. And what was their attitude about that? Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 6, Jonathan says to his armor bearer, he says, nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Remember that when you feel as if you're up against unsurmountable odds, you're outnumbered, you're outgunned. Listen, you're always in the majority when God is with you. Please remember the title of this message, the God is with you. Well, now, David has his own methods of gathering intelligence, and obviously he'd become aware of this gathering together of the Syrians and Hadadezer and the call for these other kings and their military forces to come together to strike against the nation of Israel. And notice in verse 17, so I don't know exactly how David found out about this coalition, this new coalition, but in verse 17 we read, when it was told David, he gathered all of Israel he crossed over the Jordan and came to Helam, and that's where this battle was going to ensue. And the Syrians set themselves in battle array against David, and they fought with him. So David, aware of Hadadezer's movements, acts quickly. He gathers all of the fighting men of Israel. They cross the Jordan River, and a terrific battle ensues. Let's pick up now in verse 18. Let's find out what happened. Verse 18, then the Syrians fled before Israel, and David killed 700 charioteers and 40,000 horsemen, cavalrymen, of the Syrians, and struck Shobach, remember he was their captain, the commander of their army, who died there. And so David and his men they leave behind on the battlefield all these charioteers, cavalrymen, infantrymen, and Shobach. They're all dead. And then finally we read verse 19, the final verse of our chapter. And when all the kings who were servants to Hadadezer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. All of those nations, all of those kings, all of the people that were under these kings, now give their allegiance over to uh, David. They made peace with Israel and served them. And so the Syrians were afraid to help the people of Ammon anymore. Okay, now think about this. What Israel's enemies intended for evil, God turned around and used for the good of his people. Please remember that. When, again, when the enemy is coming, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his uh, purposes. So the enemies, what Israel's enemies intended for evil, God turned around, and only God has the capacity to be able to do that. And what he did for Israel, he'll also do for you. He'll also do for me. And he used it rather for the good of his people. And what was exactly that he did for David and Israel? Well, he extended Israel's border, and those kings who had been Hadadezer's vassals understood the extent of their defeat and were now willing to pledge their allegiance to David. 
and they became David's servants, which, by the way, increased David's wealth, increased Israel's wealth, because they were becoming the vassals of David and Israel's. They had to pay uh, them tribute. And also, the Syrian-Ammonite alliance was also broken, and from that time onwards, the Syrians feared to help the Ammonites. Listen, I want to close out by reading for you, and I'd ask you to turn there with me, if you would, to the 124th Psalm, because I think it's appropriate and is very relevant to what we've just read. So the 124th Psalm, and it reads like this. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, and notice that the psalmist declares, and he recognizes the fact that in his particular situation, in his dilemma, God was with him. God was on his side. Let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, gang, it would have been lights out. There would have been no way that he would have been able to get the victory. You know, this is one of the perks about being a child of God. You know, all of the, 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 the complexities of life, all of the difficulties, all of the struggles, all of the things that are part of our life's experience, if it wasn't for God being at our side, those things would have wiped us out, right? But God was on their side. He goes on to declare, when men rose up against us, has that ever been your experience? When someone has said something unkind about you? When someone is looking to do you harm? You know, maybe at your place of employment or, or whatever. When uh, men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. That would have been the outcome. When their wrath was kindled against us, then the waters would have overwhelmed us. We would have drowned. The stream would have gone over our soul. Then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. But blessed be the Lord who has not given us prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken. How many times have we found ourselves in a trap? Nowhere to turn. No way out. But we have escaped. And then finally in verse 8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. Gang, the Lord who is on your side. Remember that. No matter what you face in your life's experience, the Lord is on your side. But as I said in my opening statement, even more importantly, I think we need to ask ourselves the question, are we on God's side? Because if you're not on God's side, I want you to think about it. You know, there's no rhyme or reason, you know, for the things that are going on in your life. There's no assurances that things are going to work out the way that you hope they would work out. But listen, if you're one together with God in fellowship and communion with Him, you can be sure that He will be there with you. The Lord is on your side. In my Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long that's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Thanks for tuning in. Did you know that you can listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Finizio and be sure to subscribe. And let us know you're a listener in the comments. 
We'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship, too. You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. And we're praying for you. Thanks again for joining us today. And we look forward to our continuing study of 2 Samuel next time, right here on In My Father's House. There's a place for